Welcome to Detroit Lions News. I'm your host, Joe Chap, and uh, we are with we are doing our season preview. So a lot of people are new to the podcast. We obviously had to do our season preview and get it out before you guys, uh, especially since next week is is a game, and it comes at Thursday. So we we play on a Thursday instead of a Sunday. So that kind of screws up the 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 momentum of things. So. We have a lot to get to in today's episode. Uh, Tyler, um, you got anything to say right now? You know, it's finally it's finally here. It's finally time. Um, you know, we are getting close to the start of the season. We have the first week is probably the hardest team that we have to play all year, arguably. Um, so, you know, it's going to be a really big testament to what we're made of. Um, my first initial reaction is, don't get too upset if we do lose. They are the super. They are the reigning Super Bowl champs. But I'm looking for a competitive game. I want to keep the score close, and I would love a win. I think that would say a lot about this team. But um, if we lose a tight one, I'm not losing hope. I mean, they are the Super Bowl reigning champs right now. Yeah. Well, it, it, listen. They got to go in there. They got to compete. Obviously, that's number one and number two. But number three is you. You want them to win the, the game. So. We got to get to what we're going to get to with the whole season preview. Um, obviously, we have we have the news about Emmanuel Mosley. He's not going to start off on the pup list. They did sign Craig Reynolds back to the active roster today. Julian Aquara, he went to the IR. That's kind of a, that was kind of strange to me. Um, there was a lot of practice squad sent in, which is a kid from. Uh, Dallas today. That's pretty interesting. But there's a lot of things that are interesting with this Detroit Lions team. I didn't get your opinion, uh, Tyler, on the 53-man roster. Was there something on the 53-man roster that really you were shocked by? Kind of like, what are they doing? Kind of thing. Yes. Um, uh, us getting rid of Starling Thomas and keeping Khalil Dorsey. Um, I think we have enough special teams guys. I think we have enough return men. I think we have enough guys that uh, provide the same level, if not better, value than Khalil Dorsey. And uh, losing out on a guy like Starling Thomas, who I thought had I thought thought had an awesome preseason, someone that we could really develop as like um, replacing Will Harris in that kind of fourth CB role, was a little surprising. And it came back to bite us because he was picked up by Arizona. Yeah, I agree with that. Yep. So I don't know. There, that that was the only real surprise was that Khalil Dorsey from left field. I mean, he, um, I didn't think, I didn't think, I didn't see him making the roster. Um, another sort of surprise, we went a little bit light on wide receiver. Um, so, um, but you know, that must mean that something bigger is coming. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I mean, I don't think that nothing big is coming. I, I, I would. I, I'm kind of suggestive to think that they're going to go out and get a wide receiver. Um, we heard that they were interested in kickers. I I don't know what they're going to do with kickers. I would have liked Will Lutz, uh, the kicker from New Orleans, but he went to Denver, and then Denver got rid of Brett Maher. So, look, if you're not you're not too heavy on the the kicker that you like, like so, the one thing that Brett Holmes has not done well as a general manager of the Detroit Lions is go and get a kicker. Like that's one of the things I I look at with Brett Holmes and I go. Man, this could come back to haunt you more than more than one way. Yeah, I mean, it would be nice to have, uh, you know, have like your guy, right? Like, so have, like every um, 
every GM or every like uh, different franchise has kind of seemed to be like they, they find a kicker or special teams guys that they really like. And that's kind of like they can stick with them long term. Um, I mean, we had Jason Hansen for the longest time and then we got Matt Prater uh, off of some, you know, circumstances resulting his alcoholism. We were able to scoop him for next to nothing. And um, yeah, it's just like, it's been a struggle to find someone since and like we go back and forth with Badgley and Riley Patterson and these random XFL guys and Kickalicious and John Parker Romo and these, these different guys. And it's just like, um, it, it's one of those luxuries where you don't realize how big of a luxury it is until you don't have a good kicker. Like you take good kickers for granted. Yeah, you're right about that. Um, you know, that's one of the things I worry about with the kicker because we, we obviously have had kickers with Detroit for the longest of times, but I just don't, um, I just don't get it. Um, Tyler, uh, let me, let me get your opinion. I don't know why it took me off the camera. Um, let me get your opinion on something. Um, <laughs> let me get your opinion on something. So last podcast, we were talking about how the wide receiver depth was a little bit shaky, right? Yep. When you see Antoine, when you see Antoine Green uh, make that long strides and 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 that breakaway speed against Carolina, uh, what was your first initial thoughts? And do you think that we have enough at wide receiver to kind of survive an injury if we if they get an injury? Yeah, so I've been calling this out since the draft that Antoine Green would make the roster when he had that long sixty yard touchdown. My first initial words out of my mouth were, "Welcome to the fifty three man roster." Like I knew he was on like sort of on the bubble, but having a big play like that for a touchdown and showing up the last two preseason games made him, um, I don't want to say a lock, but a very, very, very likely candidate to make our thin wide receiver room. So my first initial thoughts was, okay, great. That's his defining moment and why he's going to make the final roster. Cause even in the first for the first couple weeks, you could have argued instead of Anton green, you know, maybe, um, you know, Dylan Drummond, um, Coda, stuff like that. But, um, when you see a guy like take over a play like that and just have that breakaway speed and good hands, I mean, uh, it reminds you why you drafted him in the first place. And he has familiarity with Dre Bly, and he comes from a you know working with um, Drake May and a good a good offensive system at UNC. So I like it. Um, I think that you know he can be a very serviceable wide receiver four, and I think our room is thin, but we have an, uh, we have like enough guys that are serviceable. I think we still need to go get one more like decent bit named veteran. Cause I just, I don't know. I just don't know if outside of Amon Ra, if Marvin Jones, Josh Reynolds and Khalif Raymond, like do it enough for me to move the needle. I mean, it's just kind of like, yep. I don't know. I mean, outside of Amon Ra, I mean, you're talking about, <clears throat> you know, about, I mean, a near bottom supporting cast of as far as wide receiver rooms go. I mean, in the league. Yeah. It's just, eh. It's 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 so tough because obviously like you you have you have an opinion on like, these guys and you're, hope, you're hoping that you don't have the injuries that you you think that you could have, but you're gonna have those injuries. So it's just tough because I feel like we have a lot of like um, wide receiver like we have our, our our wide receiver room is full of like wide receiver three and fours. Like we have like four wide receiver fours. We have one true number one, and we have. A potential number two in JMO, but he's not available for the first six weeks. But other than that, we have like 
four wide receiver fours and and it's like ah man yeah, you I just hope. you just you get you get to that point in the year maybe week 10 maybe week 11 and you're struggling for the you know to get a guy uh healthy enough to put on the roster now uh we have a lot to get to obviously let's so let's get to it um one of the things i want to get to is when we look at this Detroit Lions team in totality like if we look on the offensive side of the ball like we look at DeAndre Swift uh leaving Jamal Williams leaving. They add David Montgomery. They add uh, Jameer Gibbs. They add Sam Laporta. Do you think the offense got better or worse in the offseason? Um, and now if you were to just say free agent acquisitions and free agent losses, pretty even. But if you count the draft as well, I mean, I'd say we got a lot better overall this offseason. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I think Montgomery – is an upgraded version of Jamal Williams. And I think Jameer Gibbs is like the upper echelon of what we thought or would hope that DeAndre Swift would be. We've seen Swift be super explosive. We've seen him be fast. We've seen him be a playmaker. We've seen him be very special, but he can't stay on the field and he can't do it long enough to make a a deep impact on a team. So I'd say we definitely got better. Um, It's you hope that, and I hear good things from Chicago fans about David Montgomery and his leadership and his poise, but you just hope that he can be at least half of what Jamal Williams was as a leader for that locker room because there are some things that are intangible. But let's be honest with ourselves, man. I mean, yeah, Jam- it was cool to see Jamal get those touchdowns, but the dude was like a one-yard merchant. Like, I mean, like like nine of his 17 touchdowns were from the one-yard line and like 12 of the 17 were within three. I mean, yeah. like, you know, he's just a goal-line guy. He'll stuff it in for you. And he's a great guy, and I wish him the best, but – I definitely got, think we got better. I think I see David or uh, David Montgomery as a potential, you know, 1,100, 1,200-yard guy um, with, you know, double-digit touchdowns. And I also see Jameer Gibbs as an eight or 900-yard rushing guy with 70 catches, 70, you know, 60, 70 catches for another right. six or 700 yards. And, I mean, he's going to be your all-purpose Marshall Folk can-catch, can-rush guy. I think we have an awesome one-two punch. Um, the receiver room didn't get any better – but I also wasn't super upset about losing Shark because I feel like he only played in like six games, anyways. Right now, so, I, 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 if we look in totality, did the Lions get better on offense uh, with the additions of Jameer Gibbs and Dave Montgomery? I'd say yes. Then you add in the, the added depth of Graham Glasgow. Yeah, and then you and then you pretty much swap Hawkinson with Laporta, which Hawkinson just became the high speed tight end in the league. Yeah, for a year. you know. You know, so we got we we basically got a better uh, yards after catch yak version of of Hawkinson, but for like one tenth of the price. Like Sam Laporta to me reminds me a little bit of um, he reminds me more of George Kittle than T.J. Hawkinson ever would because of his rack yardage. I mean, when uh, T.J. Hawkinson was going through Iowa, he had Nate Stanley as his quarterback, which he was a pretty damn good quarterback. Wasn't a pro quarterback. But he was good enough. Sam Laporta had, uh, uh, I can't even, I'm forgetting his name, uh, Spencer Petras, the yeah. Iowa quarterback. And he was absolutely brutal. So, I mean, he was one of the worst quarterbacks in Iowa history, which says a lot because there's been a lot of bad quarterbacks at Iowa. But it was one of the worst scoring teams in the nation. They had the best defense in the nation. They, they, could, they couldn't score in a whorehouse. So it was like consistently like, it was either Sam Laporta gets yardage, Sam Laporta gets a touchdown, or they weren't scoring. I mean, the 
Iowa defense outscored the Iowa offense. That tells you how bad that Iowa offense was. So if we look at the totality, did the Detroit Lions get better with their offense, offensive acquisitions and their losses? I think they got better in the run game with uh, Dave Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs. I think they got better depth because if you trade out Evan Brown for Graham Glasgow, that's a better, that's kind of a better uh, get. Um, Maybe DJ Chark, maybe Marvin Jones, like maybe you say, but then you look at the other side, like you look at Marvin Jones and you say, this guy cannot stay healthy to save his life. So maybe you get a Marvin Jones and he could stay healthy. That's, that's the, that's pretty much the, the, the deciding factor of the DJ Chark or Marvin Jones. Yeah. So I think they got better on the offensive side of the ball. Now the defensive side of the ball is interesting because I don't know if you see my video. Uh, if I don't know if people saw my video, I posted it on my page for some reason. I'm not getting the the, the click clicks that I usually get. Um, but I did a video about the secondary, right? And I showed. So I'm showing you this right now. So the player movement in the offseason, the free agency. You got CJ Gardner Johnson, Emmanuel Mosley. Cameron Sutton signed in free agency. Then you drafted Brian Branch. You obviously let go of guys like um, you let go of Armani Awari. Okay. You let go of Deshaun Elliott. You let go of Mike Hughes. You let go of Jeff Okuda. Like, yeah, like, you know, did they get better on defense side of the ball? If you just look at this alone, you're like, yeah, they did. But I'm going to even go a little bit step further, uh, Tyler, because I'm going to show you this. The best yak yardage allowed. So these are the four best against the yards after catch. So Kirby Joseph was number one. This surprises me. Amani Awari was 108, but if he would have played more games, he would have been up there too. And then Jerry Jacobs was number was number three. Deshaun Elliott was number two. Uh, number, uh, he was the last one. Uh, they, they, should, they should have switched positions, but they didn't. Um, and then when you look at completion percentage against, so this is how many times. Look at Deshaun Elliott's number. 81. Yeah, I, I didn't realize he was so poor in coverage. That's awful. 31 for 38. So every time you threw you threw it, Deshaun Elliott, there is a 81% chance that you're gonna complete the ball. Mike Hughes was he was dreadful. Will Harris, we you know, 70%. That's not good either. I mean, Anzalone was up there, Aware, but then you look at the bottom three. I mean, Jeff Okuda kind of surprised me with at 59.7, Jerry Jacobs at 53.2. Then you add into the play, like the value added of these players you get Cameron Sutton he had three interceptions last year completion percentage of 47.9% and a yak yardage allowed of 118 which would be one of your best on the league and the best on the team you have CJ Garner Johnson six interceptions the completion percentage of 73.1 yak yardage allowed 123 now the thing about his completions percentage if you look at the completion percentage of CJ Garner Johnson he likes to go. He likes to risk it for the biscuit. So he's gonna try to get interceptions. He's gonna try to make some plays with it, and it sometimes cost him in the end. And then you got Emmanuel Mosley. This was uh, two years ago because he didn't play a full year last year. And you look at that completion percentage against like fifty six point four. That says a lot about Cameron Sutton, man. That guy. I mean, I mean, we got a steal for that guy. That dude is a dog. I, it's it's crazy because I mean, you look at it like. If Emmanuel Mosley's healthy, if if Cameron Sutton's healthy, you're you're literally getting two great players that could help you win right then and there. I mean, that, so, Cameron Sutton's numbers those were like those were like fringe elite numbers. I mean, you know, you got forty seven percent completion percentage, which I was I'd be curious to see how that stacks up against like some of the top corners in the league. I'd have to imagine it's pretty close. Um, it's, pretty, it's pretty close, but you know what? The funny thing about it is like when I looked at this and I looked at like. Uh, 
like corners across the league, right? So Jalen Ramsey was one I looked at, and his completion percentage against was fifty three point four percent. Yeah. So even Cameron Sutton's come under underneath him, and then you add in this. This is what you add in, Tyler. The worst yak allowed on the team. Look at this. Jeff Okuda, 270 yards. Alex, uh, Mike Hughes, 197. You had Alex Anzalone, Will Harris, and Malcolm Rodriguez, but they're they're in a different position than those two. Yeah, and, and I see and the Malcolm Rodriguez one, actually, that, that one uh, doesn't surprise me a ton because being the type of linebacker that he is and his specific skill set, I think that he was asked to do a lot of things that he shouldn't have been asked to do last year. And I yeah. think the addition of Jack Campbell and the emergence of – uh, the reemergence of Derek Barnes should make Anzalone, uh, or I'm sorry, should make Malcolm Rodriguez able to truly do what he's good at. And I think he will carve himself into a very nice specialist role in this team for years to come. I do think by like, because of um, hard knocks and just because, you know, girls think he's cute cowboy or whatever, that sometimes he does get a little bit of inflated love. Yep. Um, he may be a little slightly overrated by the fan base, but he's still a very good player. And, and, I think by letting him do what he's good at and not asking too much of him is going to help him shine even more and like fit a very specific role. Yeah, I feel like with uh, with you know, you Kelvin Shepard said that you have potentially four starting linebackers, right? You have Derek Barnes, you have Jack Campbell, and Jack Campbell. If anything from the preseason shows you that he could be an uh, he could be an elite playmaker, I think he's going to be green dot too, man. If if he gets the green dot, but I, you hear Derek Barnes is doing good. Like if you have four linebackers that you could switch in and you could put in certain situations and make oh, them, yeah. you know, help them. Like a lot of people are were, were mad about uh, Will Harris being on the roster. I know you don't like Will Harris either. We've we've gone no, but, back, but the, but the veteran presence and the experience that it does have and in the depth of those positions. I mean, I, I understand where they're coming from and it does make sense. I mean, I would rather have a fifth year guy who somewhat knows what the hell's going on versus like an undrafted free agent who's never played a game. I get it. I, I do get it. And that's probably where you're going with that. Well, I, the, the, what I, what I, when I look at it with Will Harris is like, look, he, he doesn't do anything spectacular. And if you go back to the stats, I mean, he was one of the worst statistical guys on the team. I mean, you go worse. Yak, he was right there. You go, uh, you go to completion percentage against, he was top three. There's nothing that he does that is some kind of, magnificent you know he's not great at anything but if as a depth player he could help you i know a lot of people were like yeah what about starling thomas what about starling thomas what about starling thomas it's kind of the thing of uh you know dan campbell probably trusts will harris on special teams you know like i know special teams is very important to this this uh coaching staff and if you can't make it on special teams you probably won't make it on the roster altogether. And one of the reasons I think Cleo Dorsey got on the roster, if you're good, you're going to be honest with yourself, he was great on special teams. Yeah. Really great. Yeah, and I see uh, the Den just commented um, about don't forget Stephen Gilmore. I mean, I think he had a really good preseason. I also, another, like, preseason camp darling, don't be shocked if you don't see much of him. But he uh, he has good uh, pedigree. He has good genes. His brother is a former defensive player of the year. And I liked what I saw from Gilmore. But it's it's things like that where you get some of those guys at your fifth or sixth corner spot yeah. um, that you are kind of lucky to be able to have the flexibility to be able to explore some of that depth. But, uh, again, some of these guys you can't fall in love with too much. I think Stephen Gilmore could be a nice depth piece if needed. But, you know, don't, you know, don't look for your next – 
diamond in the rough, you know, all pro CB one to come out of an undrafted free agents class. I mean, well, I just look, I just look at what Brad Holmes has done with these undrafted free agents. No, it's I great. Mean, we've added one. First, we've added but, one to every fifty-three man since he's been here. Yeah, the first year you had Jerry Jacobs and AJ Parker. Granted, that was a really bad roster. Yeah. Uh, last year it was who was it? Last year, uh, I don't know. And then this year you had uh, Stephen Gilmore. I mean, like you, this, this he's done a great job at the undrafted free agent market, getting the guys that he's got. Um, so that's that's something that Brett Holmes does really really well, especially after the draft, because we all know that the draft doesn't start or end at the undrafted free agents because we all know who Arian Foster is. He was once an undrafted free agent. So if you could find steals like Jerry Jacobs as an undrafted free agent, you're going to be all right. Absolutely, yeah. And um, I'm trying to think of – did Derek Deese make the roster last year? Yeah, you went dark for a minute, dude. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, um, that's the unique part about having a, uh, a team that's on the come up or a team that's been historically bad is that, like – a lot of these guys don't make a lot of normal NFL rosters. And, but sometimes that's for a good reason, a good thing for us too. Like we get to see guys um, like actually become something of themselves like Jerry Jacobs. I mean, he's not like he's some like top 10 all pro corner, but if you look at his advanced metrics and his like next level, next gen stats, he's like statistically a pretty like serviceable corner. I mean, he, he's good. I mean, if you uh, look at this stat right here, completion percentage against yeah, Jerry no, Jacobs I mean, is the I mean, best for, on the team. For, for an undrafted guy. I mean, he, like, him and Cameron Sutton are two of like, I think they both made the top fifteen and statistical like uh, man coverage corners in the league, which is crazy because Jerry Jacobs, you don't think of a guy as like an elite uh, like man coverage guy, but um, you know he's made a very good name for himself. But again, would we have seen that if we were a team that were it was constantly competing that we have good players in those positions already? So we're like in a unique spot where we can allow to see the talent of these guys that wouldn't get noticed from good teams. Yeah, I, I just think that, you know, Brad Holmes has done a pretty good job at, you know, getting this roster to its, you know, its full level. Obviously, when you talk about Brad Holmes, you talk about this defense, you talk about the, the value that they've added. So I'm going to, I'll rephrase it like this. Um, when you look at this defense, did they get better or did they get worse? I don't think that there's anyone that's saying they got worse. They, they didn't lose anybody. I mean, like we lost Jeff Okuda and Mike Hughes. Like, oh, okay, wow, you know how shit. Well, how you, you, you lost Jeff Okuda, you lost Mike Hughes, you lost to Sean Elliott. Yeah, I mean, and but those Hawaii, guys are like you, you didn't those, get, you didn't lose anything. Those are like th- those are might be our four worst defensive players. Like, I mean, statistically, I mean, the only one who's like uh, that's on that or has one like only person that's not there is Will Harris. Yeah. If you add Will Harris to that list, you're talking about that's probably our five worst guys on defense. But you um, add, look at the value you added, though. Absolutely. You, added, you had a top, you had a top ten safety. You had a top, you had two top fifteen corners, and you add a guy in Brian Branch who's absolutely got the freaking juice, man. That's all you can ask for. I mean, I I look at this team and I go, this could be a really really special season. It starts with Kansas City, but like, so what I was asking you before the the the, the whole podcast. And you thought that we were going to do it on the podcast, but I wanted to give people a graphic to show what we what you guys are thinking. So if we go to the graphic um, of like, who do we fear in the NFC North? Okay, like I I think we all fear one team, 
But it was interesting because when I when I made this graphic, I was like, okay, they're they both Mayank and Tyler think the same way. And I, I must be the odd man out. So if you're in the comment section, if you're watching this live right now, tell me who you fear in the division. So here's who we got. So who do you fear most? I had Green Bay. I had Minnesota at two. I had Chicago at three. Tyler had Tyler and Mayock. I don't know what they did. I think they're I, I think they're sabotaging this whole segment. But you had Tyler and Mayock. Mayock. Uh, one was the Vikings. Two was the Bears, and three was the Packers. Now I ask yeah. you, Tyler, why the hell do you fear the Bears over the Packers? So, so I don't really fear any of these teams. I Mike, Michael uh, Espinoza here in the comments said nobody, which is kind of funny because I do think we have a clear shot at winning this North this year. <laughs> um, I do, I do think the Vikings first makes a lot of sense to me in the in the fact that um, Minnesota is still a top level team on many positions. They added a really good rookie receiver. They have probably the best receiver in the league. If not, he's top two. Um, and, you know, they have – the only thing that concerns me, their defense isn't the greatest. They're getting older on defense. Uh, their offensive line is sort of shaky. Uh, and then you replaced a, like, a perennial all-star uh, Pro Bowl running back in Dalvin Cook with his backup, um, Alexander Madison. Yeah. Um, so, you know – I mean, I'm ter not terribly terrified, but they are a team that could that could mess around and win double digit games easy. I mean, last year they went on a tear and they like you know ended up winning a decent amount of games. Um, the reason I put the Bears over the Packers, um, and honestly, it was very very close to me. It was I'm not really scared of either of them to be honest. But the reason I uh, is just the uncertainty of Jordan Love, and I feel like giving. Justin Fields some weapons. I feel like they are going to exceed expectations. They spent money this year. Um, whether whether they don't really have uh, the depth that other teams do, or they're still early in the rebuild, I I'm still not really worried about them. Um, but you know, adding DJ Moore, adding another year of experience to Justin Fields. Khalil Herbert emerged last year. They spent money on defense. Um, it's just I don't think the Packers have put themselves in a position. They lost a lot of their team this year uh, to the jets or just to the, the free agency pool. Uh, and they have a quarterback who is like, I don't know if he's ever started a game in his career. Um, yeah. So um, I, when I'm talking about like who could be better, I'm talking about like Packers ceiling is like seven wins. The bears ceiling might be seven or eight. I'm not like it's, it's splitting hair. So it could have been flip flopped either way for me, really. Well, the only reason I put the Packers at number one is a team that I fear. I mean, I don't really fear any of them in the division, if we're going to be totally honest with me, with, if I'm going to be totally honest with you. But when I look at the division, like, I look at Chicago, right? Like, if, I, if we look at this graph again, I look at Chicago, and I go, what the hell did they do to help Justin Fields? Yes, they got DJ Moore. Yes, they did. They, they got some They got some guys to help him out and on the uh, on the receiver end and all that stuff. But you still gotta block. You still gotta block. I don't care how good of I don't care. I don't care how good of a runner, how mobile Justin Fields is. If he's getting hit on thirty eight percent of his dropbacks again, you're not gonna have a shot to really compete in this division. And the only reason I say that though is because like, like how ironic have so many years we've doubted the Bears and they've like somehow some way found a way to like win nine or ten games. Like I feel like it's I I, it's happened before. I don't feel it's, like this I don't feel like this is the season. I feel like 
Like, look. Like a few years ago, Mitch Trubisky, they won like what eleven or twelve games. And I'm I like, put the Bears, I put the Bears and the Vikings in the same category. I really do because I look at the Vikings and I go, that defense is so old. Like you might as well put that in a nursing home. Like it is a nursing home defense. I look at the Chicago Bears like that offensive line is pretty ratchet. They're pretty bad. They're not good. Fields was hit on 38% of his dropbacks last year, and he was sacked on a really good uh, percentage of them. So that's why I don't fear the Bears or the Vikings. I fear the Packers the most because, like, look, Aaron Rodgers is out of here, right? Jordan Love, I think people are dismissing how good of a quarterback he could potentially be. But I really want I really guys have been in the league for one year. I really want you to look at their roster. You know, you got Aaron Jones, you got AJ Dillon, you got Christian Watson, then you look on the defensive side of the ball, they got Jari Alexander, they got um uh, Rashawn Gary, they got some players on that defense defense that's really, really good. Devondre Campbell, Eric Stokes, and yeah, then Devondre Campbell, the, Quay Walker when he does he's not pushing trainers. I mean I fear Green Bay more because of the roster. I look at Minnesota and Chicago the same. Like, I feel like Chicago, they can't block for Justin Field. So, what are you going to get out there? And with Minnesota, like, look at that defense. You tell me who they're stopping. The only thing that's tough is, like, dude, uh, like, not only do the Packers have a quarterback who's never played, but they also have, like, their top three guys were two of them were rookies last year. One was a fifth round pick, one was a second round pick. And then the other one is a second-round pick from Michigan State. So you got Jaden Reed, Christian Watson, and Romeo Dobbs as your top three. That might be like – a that's definitely a bottom-five receiver core in the NFL. Uh, and you have a guy that hasn't played in a game, so it's like either it's going to go really well and they're going to like turn on the Jets and show why that like they have that chip on their shoulder or they're going to totally shit the bed and win four games. Who is that, the Bears? No, the, the Packers. They're so often the so inexperienced. I mean, they got, like I said, you got Reed, Watson, and Dobbs. I feel like the I feel like the Packers are better suited to help uh, to kind of go against the Lions because they can run the ball. They don't have to pass the ball necessarily. They got two good running backs. Yeah. Um, hey, Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon are going to be good fantasy options this year, man, because they're going to run the shit out of it. Well, I think they're going to go to that. Uh, so you know, Matt Lafleur, he's from the Tennessee Titans uh, coaching tree, uh, obviously. And they like to run that ball a lot and go off play action. That's what I think they're going to do. I think Green Bay's defense is pretty good. Again, if we go back to it, I don't think Chicago is any good. I really don't. Like, I think people are just totally, like, it's they're a totally fad pick. I look at Minnesota like, yeah, they're good, but I only fear Minnesota strictly because of uh, of uh, Jefferson and, you know, some of the players that they got in their offense. Do I fear anybody on their defense? Hell no. Right. So, like, that's the issue I have. Now, no, if, we, if we don't win our division this year, we probably won't win it ever. Like, <laughs> it's a pretty uh, – it it's might be one of the easiest cakewalks to the, the in the league. I don't disagree at all. Like, uh, so let's look at the, the, the betting lines. Um, okay, so Super Bowl betting, um, you know, I should have made these a little bit bigger. But I, I think it's interesting, Tyler, if you look at it, the over-under is nine and a half wins, right? But the over is minus money right now. So under is getting – there's the bets are coming more in for the over than they are the under. Obviously, the Detroit Lions are the favorite to win the NFC North. Um, it's I think it's plus 180. 
Uh, they're fourth in the NFC to to win the NFC. Yeah, plus one forty five for us to win the North. And then if you look at the bottom of the Super Bowl outright betting, there's a lot of AFC teams in there, and there's the Lions that are. I think it's like the. I think it might be the third, the yeah, the fourth best team in the NFC. So that is interesting. But the player props I find really interesting. There's one that I really like in the most. So it's, it's Jameer Gibbs to win Offensive Rookie of the Year and Brian Branch to win Defensive Rookie of the Year. Plus 21000 You put $10 on it, you can, be, win, you can win $2,100. I think that's kind of like a if, – if you want to put some money away, maybe that might be your shot. But I look, I look, I look at the AP Offensive Rookie of the Year. Jameer Gibbs is in fourth. And I look at Jared Goff is over his over under for passing total uh his total passing TDs is 24 and a half. Yeah, hammer the shit out of that over, over, over. Now I want to ask you, you think he's gonna go over? Hell easy, easy. That might be the easiest bet on the whole damn page, dude. Uh Jared Goff, he had 29 touchdowns last year, and we only added more weapons, and he's gonna have J Mo for longer. Uh, and we're going to have – and we have Laporta over Hawkinson, and we have uh, a upgraded version of Swift and Jamal, guys that can actually catch the ball um, from the backfield. Yeah, I think you hammer the over all day. I, I see I see a minimum of 28 touchdowns from Jerry Goff this year, and I would say his ceiling is probably 35-36. I, I think I think that's a really good – like, if you're if you could get – like, if the odds can go lower – and you can get it for maybe 115 minus 115. That would be a perfect bet because right now it's at 128, I believe. 136. So the, okay, so the ju- juice isn't that good, but the um, it's just like I do think that he's gonna he's gonna throw more touchdowns. I think because Jameer Gibbs is more reliable than um a guy like DeAndre Swift. I think Jameer Gibbs is really gonna be a great player for the Detroit Lions. And obviously, if you look over here with uh, the coach of the year. Uh, Dan Campbell is favored to win AP Coach of the Year, which is crazy to think because at one point there was a lot of people who thought that he was going to be one of the guys who would be fired uh, in year two after going one and six. I remember we did that podcast after, what was it, Miami? What was it, Miami? Which one? The one where it was like one it was one and six. You were like, you were kind of, I said. Might have I, been, was it, I think it was Dallas. It might have been. We should go back on that podcast and, and pull it up. But I think, uh, like, I, I I had a feeling that they would kind of pull something together at the end. Um, obviously, when you look at the way that they pulled it together with eight and two down the stretch, that was pretty remarkable. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, eight and two down the stretch, you did a really good job. Uh, it's interesting to hear. And, yeah. Yeah, I'm, uh, I want to say, dude, it was like um... – let me see, because we went, okay, we won, and then we lost, lost, lost. Yeah, uh, it had been after the Cowboys or the Dolphins, because we got our asses spanked. I mean, we barely lost to the Dolphins, so I don't think I would have overly reacted to that too much. But I, I, think uh, people like, are, I think people are more reactive to about the defense being as bad as it was playing, because I think that uh, the Miami game, we gave up a <laughs> lot of points, if I'm not mistaken. I it, think was 30, was, it was like 31 to 27. Yeah, I think that was another game where we didn't force a punt, so that that was an issue. But well, well, I mean, dude, just look at it. Like the way I see this is like, like I love. Um, sorry, I had to get a bug. I love uh, the how much I can trust um, 
Brad Holmes because it's like I was looking at that team like, dude, I know we'll get better sometime at some point, like someday, somehow, but like how? Like who are we gonna possibly get to put guys in better positions? Like unless we go to the Bears route and we spend overspend a bunch of money on a bunch of guys we don't need. How the hell are we going to get better on defense? We don't have the guys. We don't have the talent. We don't have the money. Yeah. So yeah, just... I, I knew the I knew the team was going to get better. Um, I didn't think they would get as much better as they did uh, going down the stretch with the eight and two, and then they had a top twenty defense going down the stretch. So that was that was very interesting. But I all I I tie it back to you know James Houston, the emergence of James Houston. Um, the the uh, John Kaminsky being healthy and uh, Aiden Hutchinson groans a little bit more, so I thought that was that was some pretty much some some ways that Detroit got better uh, down that stretch. Now, Tyler, I was talking with someone uh, Tuesday. I was on the Detroit Lions news show, which was with Darcy, uh, and um, we were talking about a potentially would you trade James Houston if the right p- package came along. And the only reason I brought it up was because, like, look, if you had a shot, if if Indy called you tomorrow, right, and they said, we're going to give you Michael Pittman for James Houston, are you pulling the trigger? It's not saying that you would pull the trigger. It's not saying that you would do, some, do something like that. It's saying, would you make that move if it came to it? Now, I, I know that there's a lot of people out there that are probably going, what the hell are you talking about? But like, if if there was a chance that you can get better at a certain position, wouldn't you do it? Yeah, I mean, look, <coughs> everybody has a price. Like, and that's what I'll say. Like, dude, it's so funny because like I would have done the same thing years prior. Like, I'm trying to be like because we study the team so much and because we're trying to do all this stuff. I'm trying my best not to like homer out on every single player and every single pick. And that's what you got to realize that we cannot do because like James Houston is good, right? He has potential to be good, but there are some people that legitimately think this guy is going to be like a 16 sack guy. Like every year, James Houston is fine for what he was. He's a six round pick. He is a pass rush specialist. Like he will play 40 snaps a game. Absolutely has potential for double-digit sacks, but also has potential to play like a six-round pick a lot of the time too. Like, like yes, he's good, but I, I, James Houston is not a top-five rusher in the NFL or top-ten rusher in the NFL. Like, he's just not. you got to be realistic with yourself. But, and like I said, everybody has a price. So if you come in and you say, hey, I can get you a legitimate number two. If somebody said, I'll give you Michael Pittman for James Houston, holy shit, I am sending him faster than you can finish your fucking sentence. Like no brain. The Easy. only reason the only reason I brought it up to uh, Darcy and the crew, and some of them were not happy about it, which I don't care. Oh, hey, bro, you do that all day. You don't even you I thank the, you thank Jim Irsay for having too many drinks that night, and you walk away with your head. Well, also that and coke. But uh, look, I don't say sorry for any opinion that I have because the, right. the reality of the situation is like, if you are Brad Holmes, like you're looking to make this team the best that you can make it. At the moment in time, if you're going to f- make this team better, how are you going to make it better? How are you going to make the trades? What are you going to do to make this team better? And sometimes, you know, if you, if you follow sports at any junction, baseball, hockey, football, baseball, uh, basketball, any of it, when you when sometimes you have to give something to get something, right? And if you told me right now, 
that you could trade James Houston for Michael Pittman. And when James when Jamison Williams comes back, when Jamison Williams comes back, he's not forced into the lineup. He's not forced to be like, hey, J-Mo, we need you, okay? We need you. Because at that point in time when he comes back against Baltimore, you don't know what the injury situation is going to be. And you don't think – obviously, him coming off suspension, he's not going to be fresh off the hop. I mean, that would be a total fail. No, absolutely. Not and, and, and there's no, you always got to realize that everybody on this team has a price, and Brad Holmes knows that too. Like, <clears throat> we don't have – like, outside of Amon Ra, we don't have any guys that are like – I mean, there's a couple, right? Um, when you're talking about, like, youth and potential and, like, guys that are just great in their position, there's some untouchables. I mean, there's not many players better than Amon Ra at receiver. There's not many players better than Aiden Hutchinson at, and as a young, young player, like, with the potential – there's not that many players that are nearly as good as Panay Sewell. So there are some yeah. staples. But outside of those main guys, if you can trade or package something up and get a guy that's like upper, upper echelon, like you're going to do it. Ever There's a price for almost everybody. There's probably, I want to say, maybe seven guys total on this team that are probably considered untouchable. So name the name the seven because my I, the 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 guys I I'm gonna mention okay so I don't think Taylor Decker is untouchable I don't think no I I would say the guys that are untouchable are Frank Ragnow okay Penae Thule okay um Jameer Gibbs just because of his okay. age yeah uh, uh Amin Ra Aiden okay. Hutchinson Kirby Joseph okay and you know that other one you know you could or like I you know Jack Campbell J Mo Jack Campbell. You know, yeah, Jack Campbell, Laporta. I mean, the, you know, the young, young, like, really versatile, like, guys that we – like, Brian Branch. So, there's probably, like, 10. Um, outside of that, like, if you're going to come and bring me and blow me away, like, on, on a package deal, like, I'm going to listen. People are like, oh, well, what about Jared Goff? Is he untouchable? Like, Jared Goff's great. But if somebody says, hey, I'll give you Josh Allen and you have to give me Jared Goff in a first, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we're doing it all day, yeah. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. just saying, like, obviously that would never happen. I'm being funny. I'm being hypothetical. So don't grill me. No, but you, you, never, you, you never know what could happen in the NFL. But I'm just because... saying, like, there's, if there's an opportunity for you to get better and, right. and everybody has a price and you can't be ignorant to think, like, Oh well, we can't trade tra- James Houston. Yes, he's a great player. We found in the sixth round, but let's not act like he is like Lawrence Taylor. I but mean- the cor- the quarterback movement in this league has been really crazy because when we talk about if you if I'd have told you ten years ago that Russell Wilson would be on the Broncos, Aaron Rodgers would be on the Jets, Derek Carr would be at the Saints, and Deshaun Watson, Matthew Stafford, baby. <laughs> yeah, well, Deshaun Watson would be with the ta- would be with the Browns. You'd have been like. Dude, what are you smoking? Like, what are you want? <laughs> right. But like in the NFL, like we we go through this period of motions where like one minute you're great, like one minute you think this team is like the the creme de la creme, like in in LA with the Chargers, like could there be a moment when they decide like like they obviously gave uh, Herbert his his money, obviously, but is there going to be a moment in time where they, where they just realize like, dude, we suck ass. We got to get rid of Justin Herbert, and then Justin Herbert's on the move. Like uh, those are the th- those are the things that can happen. So like when I when I'm ta- when you look at Indianapolis and you t- look at Michael Pittman, I mean, would they make that move with a rookie quarterback? Potentially not. But if they think that they're getting someone in James Houston, you kind of have to think about it. I mean, it's obviously like I always tell people like uh, when when the Red Wings traded for Alex DeBrinket, right? Uh, he was a 40 goal scorer. His plus minus isn't that great. You know, you're, you're kind of getting what you're getting. You didn't really give up that much to get him. 
but that was a once in a that's that's, that's kind of like a an anomaly, you know, because he's a hometown kid. It's like if the if it's like if the Pistons were like, okay, we're gonna trade for James Harden tomorrow. Well, you're or probably like, not... or like Devin Booker because he's from Grand Rapids. Right. No, but I'm saying if he's not from this hometown. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah you're gonna have to you're gonna you're gonna have to give something up to get something. And uh, if they went to go trade for James Harden tomorrow, they're gonna probably have to give up Kate or or Jaden or or Jalen Duran. Like they're gonna have to give up someone of significance. So yeah. if you're gonna, it, it's not Madden. You know, you can't just you can't just trade a player. And like trade a bunch of picks and think that you're gonna get you know whoever you want. Just, it's not the way. I just think that like listen like Randy Moss got a fourth round pick from the Patriots. Right. right. You're trying to tell me that you think that James Houston is the Randy Moss of defensive ends? No. Hell no. And I and I'm not shitting on James Houston. I think he's a good player and I think he can be great, especially for where we got him. He's a sixth round gem. He's a good role guy. But like. Like I said, you you have to be realistic in your value of players. Yeah. Like other teams and other places, they're not going to view these guys. No one's going to be like, oh, I'll give you a first round pick for James Houston. That's not going to happen. If we made him available, someone would probably, someone could offer a third or a fifth or a fourth somewhere in the mid rounds. You're not going to get a first round pick for that guy. And to say, oh, James Houston for Michael Pittman, dude, the Colts would be stupid to do something like that because the value just doesn't match up. Yeah. I, I just, you know, it's something that I thought about because obviously with, you know, they have 29. It's hilarious defense. that there were people that were like, Oh, eh, it's like, no, run, I mean, no, like, I, I, you can. I, th- I think outside the box sometimes, you know, like, I think like, like, I don't think like regular people, like when I went to do those scouting classes, uh, like you're always taught to like, think outside the box, right. You're not, you're not taught to just think like, in a box, you want to think outside the box. The best general managers in the NFL or NHL or Major League Baseball or, or NBA, they think outside the box. That's why they're good. Like Daryl Morey of the 76ers, he was the guy that was he was a guy that was like heavy on analytics. You know what I'm saying? You or you can be a guy that thinks outside the box, like Bob Quinn. You think you're the smartest guy in the room, and you fuck everything. Well, right no, but you know Bob Quinn thought he was smart, and he said he watched a lot of tape on T's tape or. I'm still waiting to see wh- how much tape he watched because if you'd have watched Florida, if you'd have watched T's Tabor, you'd have been like, "There's no way in hell that this guy watched T's Tabor in college." Because if you would have watched him in college, you'd have seen him got smoked by some some uh, Ver- Vanderbilt wide receiver. And we all know that Vanderbilt isn't a school for athletes. We know that they're smart kids, but Jesus, Pete's like, if he's getting roasted by a kid from Vanderbilt, what do you think is going to happen when he gets to the NFL? But anyways, um, so obviously we look at this team and we think about how good they could be. Like, what would I'm be my charger really quick? Go ahead and carry this for a second. Right. Yeah. Like we look at this team and how good they could potentially be. When you look at the Lions and you look at how how they've uh, they've transformed this roster, especially in the defensive side of the ball. When you get a guy like CJ Garner Johnson, you get a guy like Cameron Sutton, you get a guy like Emmanuel Mosley, uh, you transform the defense in a heavy way. So when I look at this team, is there a chance where they could potentially like um, fall short of expectations? I sh- I'm sure that there's a chance that we can, they could fall short of expectations, but I was, where's, where's this guy Tyler at? Now we had the, we our staff has picked play uh picked the division uh 
pick the record, the, the rookie of the year, all that stuff. Um, I think we are in agreement that there is going to be a better, uh, this is going to be a better team this year with uh, the way that they're constructed and the players that they've added. And that's going to be interesting to see what they could do um, moving forward. But I want to bring you back to what we were talking about with the player props, though, because if you look at the player props, Jameer Gibbs to win Offensive Rookie of the Year and Brian Branch to win Defensive Rookie of the Year, it seems like a large kind of thing. But look, plus 2,100, you're really putting yourself at a, at a disadvantage when you do that. So, I mean, if you put 10 bucks down, you could win $2,100. So that's not a, that's not a bad deal at all. But when you look at, uh, you know, offensive rookie of the year, obviously Jameer Gibbs is fourth on that list, so that's pretty that's pretty uh, good to it's good to see. You know, we were talking earlier about how this team is, has gotten better. Look, when you look at the player movement in the free agency, they added Chauncey Gardner Johnson, they added Brian Branch in the draft, they added Emmanuel Mosley in free agency, Cameron Sutton in free agency, they let go of Jeff Okuda, they let go of Mike Hughes, they let go of Deshaun Elliott and Amani Awariwe. And um, they're a better team on the defensive side of the ball. Now, when Tyler gets back, we're going to talk about our picks because that's what's important. And I don't know where he is. Anyways, um, so that this is the player movement, the guys that they added, the value that they added. They added three uh, intercept. They added Cameron Sutton, who got three interceptions, completion percentage of forty-seven point nine. They've added a lot of talent to this team. You add, look at the offense. You look at Jameer Gibbs. You look at Sam Laporta. You look at Dave Montgomery. They kind of transformed that backfield from a team that had, you know, DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams. You know, there was times last year when we were watching the games against uh, against these teams, and DeAndre DeAndre Swift or Jamal Williams, whichever one you're thinking of, they made bad decisions with running the ball. And that was interesting to see that. But when you look at the Detroit Lions moving forward, we're going to go back. I'm going to go back to what, who do you fear? I obviously fear the Green Bay Packers more than I fear the, the Bears and the Vikings and Tyler and Mayank are on the same level. They're on the same, the way that they think. And it's going to be interesting to see who is right on that portion. Now, when we look at this team with the Detroit Lions, it's funny because we talk about it all the time that this team could be really good uh, moving forward. And when we look at the players that they've added, you look at the players that you added, it's a much better team than last year. And I think going into this year, there's a lot of excitement around the Detroit Lions. There's a lot of excitement around the offense, especially the way that they played last year. There's a lot of excitement around the defense because of the players that they've added, like I just said a million times. But when you look at this team, if you're looking at a position that could potentially be the downfall of this team, I would potentially go wide receiver. I would potentially go kicker. But in the meantime, I think this is a team that could really, really do some great things. So, um, look. Uh, Tyler, I don't know where he went, but these were the staff win totals. So I I was 12 and 5. I had my offensive player of the year was Jameer Gibbs. My defensive player of the year was Gardner Johnson. My rookie of the year was Jameer Gibbs. And I think the surprise player of the year will be Levi Anzarike. 
Now, Tyler and Mayak, again, they're just on, in lockstep with each other. Tyler was 12-5. and five. We had the same record, but he also has Jameer Gibbs as the Offensive Player of the Year. He has Defensive Player of the Year to Aiden Hutchinson, which also Mayank believes the same. They both believed in the Rookie of the Year is going to be Brian Branch. Surprise Player of the Year, Tyler went with Tracy Walker. Mayank went with Broderick Martin. And Mayank had the highest win total. Look at that, 13-4 and four for Mayank. He thinks that the Detroit Lions will go 13-4, and four, which will be pretty damn good. But you look at this team, man, and and the, the I I just I can't tell you I can't tell you that I think you know Detroit is a better team than twelve and five. Like I, I can't say that they're a twelve they're they're going to be a thirteen win team because that's just ridiculous. But I do look at nine wins last year. They are three games better. I think that you could add three games with. Maybe if you get this stop here on defense, you win the game. Maybe if you get this stop on off, you know, you get this first down on offense, you win the game. And when you look at this team, they got better at those portions. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see what this Detroit Lions team does. They got a lot of talent. And uh, they're going to be pretty damn good. So um, it's going to be interesting. I'm seeing what Tyler's doing because um, – I don't know. He just cut out for a minute. Um, but. All right. We'll go back to the staff win totals. I, I got, again, Mayon believes 13 and four. I believe 12 and five. Taylor, Tyler believes 12 and five. It's a good kind of situation to be in. But me and Tyler both are in Jameer Gibbs. We're both. On, I'm on Gardner Johnson. I think rookie of the year will go to Jameer Gibbs. But my surprise player of the year is Levi Anzarike. And I think that we all forgot about Levi Anzarike. We really did. We thought we didn't think about Levi Anzarike as a player. We thought, you know, maybe he can get himself together. Maybe he can't. But I saw some glimpses of him in the preseason that made me really like the way that he played. And I'm just, I think that with Lee McNeil getting more leaner in the offseason, I think this Detroit Lions team could be really be. Uh, you know, with Levi Anzarike coming back from injury, finally being healthy, I think he can live up to that second-round pick that he was picked at. And I think that if you can add Levi Anzarike in into the equation with Ali McNeil, and let's say they were drafted just as you thought they were going to be, and maybe Ali McNeil gained some little pass rush moves, you could really have a formidable total defensive line. And I think that's what Brad Holmes was imagining when they drafted uh, – Anzarike and the Lee McNeil back to back, but we got Tyler back. My phone died, man. I was uh, I had it propped up here, and uh, the charger itself wasn't plugged in, so I had to go grab the charger and then. What a bum! What a bum! So I was telling people about your staff, our, our staff picks. Now Mayak, he has thirteen and four. St. Brown was his uh, offense player of the year. Uh, Hutch was his defense player of the year. Branch was his rookie of the year. Mark Broderick Martin was his surprise player of the year, which was pretty interesting. Uh, you 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 were kind of on my side with the offensive player of the year. We went def different defensive player of the year. Then you were on the Brian Branch train. I was on the Jameer Gibbs train as the rookie of the year. But um, I'm just interested to hear what makes you think your uh, your picks are, are like. What's the reasoning behind your picks? Yeah. So, <clears throat> excuse me, probably similar to yours, I think Offensive Player of the Year. I think, do I think Amon Ra is the best player in our offense? Absolutely. 
but I'm looking for somebody to unlock something special and to give us a full like Marshall Folk like thousand yard reception or a thousand yard receiving thousand yard rushing type of potential. And I think Jameer Gibbs is in a position to be very very special. And I think he's going to give that spark that we need that over the top like um, Alvin Kamara, Marshall Folk, Danny Tomlinson type of uh, like feel to him. <clears throat> where he's going to be dynamic in the pass game and dynamic in the rush game. So that's why I went with uh, Jameer Gibbs. So um, as far as like, we might as well just run down all our picks. Yeah. Um, Aiden Hutchinson. I think that he is just, um, <clears throat> excuse me. He's a, he's Jesus a dog. Christ, he get can... some fucking water. <laughs> all right. I'm good. I'm good. I'll <laughs> just drink. I'll just drink another sip of beer. Um, get some water. Jesus, Pete, this guy's coughing but, uh, like this, this guy's choking like Matt Patricia over uh, here. But uh, but yeah, but Aiden Hutchinson, I feel like he is a dog. I feel like he's uh, you know, one of those blue chip guys we have on defense that has the ability to be a you know 13, 14, 15 sack per season guy, has a chance to become your uh, your staple end, your Nick Bosa, your Joey Bosa, your uh, your Montez Sweats, like you know, your um. Just your elite guys on the edge. I think that he has an opportunity to be our blue chip uh, D line or DN. Um, as far as the uh, what was the next one? The rookie of the year. Yeah, rookie of the year. Um, you had. Uh, yeah, I switched had, it up. I switched it up from Jameer, uh, even though he's a rookie, to Brian Branch, and just because I could have someone else on my list. I think Brian Branch is gonna. He has that chip on his shoulder. He has a lot of potential to be like a hybrid, like corner safety, nickel, your CJ Gardner Johnson type. And we're going to have two of those on the field. That guy's nasty. He's mean. He can hit. He can cover. He can tackle. He was a projected top 20 pick. Some even had him in the top 15. Uh, we got him at an absolute steal at 48, I believe, 48 or 45. Yeah. Um, and he's just, he's going to go off. Um, and then I got uh, our surprise player of the year. Um, I think Tracy Walker, man, I think he's going to have a chip on his shoulder being kind of the odd man out. He's going to come in. He's going to provide a lot of hype off the bench and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of big hits and a lot of just playing the right way. And I think uh, because he's such a competitor and he's been used to being like cemented as the starting safety his whole career that like this finally does give him a little bit of fire under his ass and kind of like uh, gives him that chip on his shoulder. And I think he will surprise us. I'm going to say, you know, I could easily see like a three or four pick season coming from Tracy Walker with, you know, 60, 70 tackles, a couple sacks, a couple tackles for loss. Like, I think he's going to come out with some, I think he's going to come out with some, uh, some attitude and some flair. And he's going to, he's going to show us what, you know, what he's made of. He had a year off. So I think that helped him mentally speed up. Um, so I think he's going to be in a good place when he comes back. Yeah. The, the one thing about Tracy Walker that I'm kind of, I'm kind of interested to see how he comes, uh, he plays. You know, certain people, when they get – they lose their job because there's a chance that he could lose his job with the way that Kirby Joseph has played. And then the emergence of Brian Branch, which we haven't even talked about enough about Brian Branch. Like, I think Brian Branch could be an elite player. Obviously, you do as well. But, like, you look at this this team and you're like, man, this team could be really damn good. And, and I, I mean, that's just kind of the whole thing is, like, we were so young and inexperienced, but like we also had a ton of addition by subtraction last year, getting rid of our four worst players, four of our worst five. So like, I think it's going to help us out a lot because not only do we add a lot of good young pieces, but we have a little bit more experience coming back with those second year guys. And uh, like I said, we have a lot of guys that were just addition by subtraction and we got some of those guys that just stunk up the damn building right out of there. So um Every year we're going to see that, though. You know, like, that's something I like to talk about a lot on the podcast, and that's something I bring up a ton of times, is that 
it's going to come to a point where every year you have to draft six players or seven players. That is how an NFL draft works. Yeah. And I already love everybody on this team, but there's going to be a position where like you're continually drafting to like bump other guys out, whether they want too much money or they get hurt too often or they just stop producing or they just get old. You know, I think um, we're going to like truly start to see like next year, like we can really start drafting for luxury for the first time, maybe ever. You know, we're going to be like, okay, well, we don't have any super glaring needs, but hey, what could we do to save some money or to to get better or where could we grow or where could we push some competition? Um, and, and we're going to finally, you know, see the team start to draw uh, to draft out of um, out of like uh, luxury versus absolute need. And so, um, you know, it's interesting. We have some of the guys coming up like uh, like Jonah Jackson, Taylor Decker, some of these guys that like could be uh, future uh, guys that we move off of at the positions. And so basically I'm rambling on to my point that we just added a, we added a ton, added a ton of addition by subtraction this year. And that makes me very uh, hopeful for like the start of like, this is the first year of our, like, okay, the rebuild's pretty much over. It's go time. Like, I don't want to say our window's opening up because I think Brad Holmes is doing this long term for like to be good for a long time. But like, we're kind of like in a position where like, we've always said, right. Year three, Year three is when the rebuild starts to be over for these yep. guys because we had a really good, like we were able to speed up our rebuild really well by by Brad Holmes drafting so good. So like, this is this is the start of something great. Yeah, I'd say the same thing. Like I think that with the way that they've played, uh, the way they they've drafted, they've actually put themselves in a better position moving forward. And I'm interested to hear your opinion on this, Tyler, because this is one of the things we'll hit on before we end of the podcast. We'll obviously have our closing thoughts, especially with the season coming up. And next, our next podcast is going to be the preview. So that's what we're going to be doing. But I hear a lot of people talking about Jonah Jackson and um, how they should they sign Jonah Jackson? Should they not sign Jonah Jackson? Should they sign Jonah Jackson? And like, part of me believes like, this is what I believe. So, like, you could pay Jonah Jackson all the money that you want to pay him. You want to pay him as a top guard, you're you're able to do it. My philosophy is, like, you're going to have to spread that money around. Like, if you look forward past Jonah Jackson, you look at maybe potentially a Kirby Joseph that's going to need a contract extension. Oh, um, yeah. That's going to need a contract extension. Aiden Hutchman, Penai Sewell. Like, you look at the players that are going to need uh, contract extensions, and you're going, well, you're going to have to lose one of them. And I'm interested to hear, if you have to lose one of them, it has to be Joan Jackson, doesn't it? Yeah, no, it does. Um, and if not, if you're very, very, very confident in Jonah Jackson, that means you have to kick Taylor Decker to the curb immediately. You yeah. cannot have that much money. We already have, like, the third most expensive offensive line in the league. Yeah. And I uh, think that there are some some areas for improvement. <clears throat> um, well, something that I see is that um, – Jonah Jack, it's like elite guards, like unless they're absolutely like career, like game changing, like franchise altering guys. Like there's only a few guys I can ever think of from really at the guard position that are just like so unbelievably good. You had to keep them. That's like Larry Allen, Zach Martin, Martin, Quentin Nelson. I mean, there are a couple of guys that are just absolute like staples. Do I think Jonah Jackson is at the level of Zach Martin or Quentin Nelson? Absolutely not. No, No, no way. Uh, I, I do think he's a top 10 guard. Um, but again, I, like how impressive is it to have a, like to be a top 10 guard? Like it sounds silly saying that, but like your bread and butter, you're looking at, you want a really great left tackle. 
You want a absolute. You want a good center. And if you have a good right tackle, that's a pretty good luxury, which we I think we have the best right tackle in the league. Um, but like your guard positions, when you have your three staples, center, you know, center, left tackle, right tackle, you can kind of get away with lacking lacking a little bit in the guard department because you have you have a stud on your left and your right. Like it's not nece- it's not necessary. Like if someone were to tell me, hey, we got to get rid of Jonah Jackson, but we can plug and play. Graham Glasgow, and we can go get Evan Brown again for a two-year, $8 million deal, and those are your two starting guards, like, okay, that's cool. Let's run it. Well, part of the reason that I asked this question is because um, if you watch Brian Baldinger on Twitter, which he has some great baldy breakdowns, he's it's great, just absolutely phenomenal, the way he breaks down the game, because you love to hear a former player break down the game like Baldinger does. But he was talking about Colby Sorzdahl. And how he was just a menace uh, against in the preseason game. And I know it's preseason, but offensive line, there really is no preseason for offensive linemen or defensive linemen. Like, you either know what you're getting or you don't know what you're getting. Because these guys, they really can't take it easy with each other because on the other side, there's a guy that's trying to m- make a roster. And then on the other side, you're not you're not trying to look like an idiot out there. And uh, it was interesting because Brian Baldinger, he's a, he's a former offensive lineman. And he was talking about how he's doing so good with his pad level, the way that he's moving. And and just to hear that, I kind of go, did Brad Holmes potentially find another guy to replace Jonah Jackson? I mean, obviously, next year you're going to have to replace – you might have to replace both guards because are you going to give Vitae a contract? Probably not. Are you going to give Glasgow a contract? Probably not. So you're going to have to go into free agency in the draft and get a guard. And that's why I was kind of in on the guard thing. But with the way that the draft played out, Brian Branch came to you in the second round. Sam Laporta, obviously, you can't really – that's a good offensive weapon that's going to help this team move forward. And the way that the first round went with Jameer Gibbs and Jack Campbell, I think that the way that they drafted in the final two uh, – the final two uh, uh, pieces – the final two pieces in the second round, I thought it was a really good investment to get Kobe Sorzdahl. Now, the one area that I'm kind of – I'm kind of – I'm kind of – back and forth on is I believe that like I the Hendon Hooker pick still to me it doesn't make much sense. Now I think if you if you think that Hendon Hooker could be a potential starting quarterback, okay, maybe we do make sense, but with the kicking situation and how they were looking for kickers in the um just recently with uh Will Lutz and and, and maybe like you know uh Brett Maher and everything. Um why would you use that that, that third round pick on a guy like Kenneth Hooker? You could have used it on Chad Ryland or maybe even Jake Moody. I mean, a lot of people would have bitched about how early you took a kicker, but if you think that that guy could be your future kicker, you take him. And that's one of the things I, I worry about with Brett Holmes because we haven't had a good kicker since he's been here. It's been kind of like a revolving door of misfits. So hopefully Riley Patterson can get it together because – when you get to the playoffs, man, these these games are so close. And obviously, being a Michigan State fan, I know all about bad kicking and bad field goal kicking because they were 50% from field goal range last year. And if you're 50% from field goal range, you're probably not going to win a lot of games because a lot of these games, I don't care if it's college football, high school football, or the NFL, when you get to these these tough matchups, like when you are going against a division rival or you're going against, or you're going against the Kansas city chiefs, those kicks, those kickers, 
they earn their money. As Justin Tucker, as you know, the Chiefs have a really good kicker with Harrison Butker. So that's what and I look at. And I think we'll find it. I think it'll take time, and we'll eventually find it. I think, I think Brad Holmes. I think that what confuses people sometimes is that he is such a value guy. <clears throat> and uh, with that being said, like I think he valued Hendon Hooker pretty high, and I think he I thought a lot of people valued him high, right? So yeah. it was in a position where it's like, did he necessarily feel like at that time? And this is you got to remember, this is before Teddy Bridgewater. This is before yeah. he, we had no backup quarterbacks. He's sitting there thinking. Okay, this is somebody that people were talking about maybe being a top 15 pick, yeah. maybe being a top 12 pick, especially when he before he got hurt. Yeah. But even after people were talking about him in the first round, people were talking about him at pick 20, pick 25, pick 30. I mean, even the announcers were like, hey, this is pick 20 with the Vikings. Do you think that they could go hunt and hooker? Um, so like I think Brad Holmes saw, oh my God, there's a guy that's valued in the top 20 and he's fallen all the way to 68. Um, so like, I think that sometimes the value gets the best of him and I'm not yeah. sitting here trying to say, Oh, I'm, I could think I'm thinking better than Brad Holmes or I'm better than Brad Holmes. Look, he's in this no. position for a reason and he does great. And, but I think like, it's fair to be able to criticize everybody. And, and this is not necessarily a horrible thing, but I do think that like, sometimes he lets the value of players get the best of him because he wants the best value. So he's right. sitting there thinking, Hey, I got a guy that most people viewed in the top 20 and I can get him at almost 70. That's too good of value for me to pass up. What I'm going to do is I'm going to draft him and I'm going to make him fit. He'll fit somewhere, somehow, some way at some time. And I don't hate the philosophy, but like, that's kind of like, I think where his mindset is. Like if you, if like, even like Brian branch, which Brian branch fit this team perfectly. And we needed something like that, but he's yeah. looking like panicking. Like how the hell do I get Brian branch? Because he's, 30 spots below what I thought he was going to be. And I'm a value guy and I need to get the most value. That's where I think exactly happened with the Hen and Hooker pick. Yeah. The guy seen a guy that was, he was potentially 40 spots under value. And he's like, I got to go for it because somehow, some way at some point in time, this will pay off. And this is the guy I want. Yeah. I think that, that that's that, what you're saying is true. I just look at it like, it could have went a different way, maybe. Yeah, no, absolutely could have. And, that, and that's one of the down, maybe one of the downfalls, if you could say, is that sometimes he lets the value of uh, get to the best of him of like where it's at, but also his own value too, because like I thought he, I thought he valued Broderick Martin like way too high. Like, yeah, I, I the, the Broderick Martin one, I wasn't really mad at because I think Broderick just Martin, really traded three picks to get up to get him. Like, I think he really wanted Broderick Martin. I think when I think I think who was it? Zach Pickens went off the board before Broderick Martin. I think that's who he really wanted. But when you look at the reality of the situation, like I think that he knew that you know he was going to have to make a move to get up to get up there and and see if you can make that happen. And that's what they did. But as long as we don't play football like Nebraska and Minnesota right now, I mean, there it's three nothing going into the second half. It's this is absolutely garbage football. But Tyler, I think we've got to end the podcast. So um, we're obviously going to have our closing thoughts, but if if there's one area of concern that you have for this team, what is it? If there's one area that you believe wholeheartedly is going to help this team get to the expectations that they have, what is it? Yeah, and and, it, and I think it's carried the last couple podcasts of something I've continually said is that lack of depth, like of talented depth in the wide receiver room. I think we're an insanely deep wide receiver room. I really do. But I, like I said earlier, I think we have an entire room full of wide receiver threes and fours, which I would love our wide receiver room to look like um, Khalif Raymond, Josh Reynolds, and Marvin Jones if they were our third, fourth, and you know fourth, fifth, and sixth guys. Like I still think we need a guy that can be like a true number two. 
or can be like you know a really like top end one a one b three fringe wide receiver two yeah. range because like the appeal of having uh, uh, DJ Chark last year was awesome. I was excited about that because it seemed like a true like X receiver, um, a guy that can come in and like kind of get your 50-50 balls, kind of be your DJ Chark, your Adam Thielen, your, um, you know, your T. Higgins, your true number two guy. And I still think that we need a guy like that because I think the trio, it, it's like this, right? Man, we have an awesome receiver core with the trio of Amon Ra, Jamo, and, and right. we're right. missing that. We're missing well, that final guy. What's your hope? What's your hope? I think what Brad Holmes is hoping on is that Jameer Gibbs and Sam Laporta become a part of the wide receiver core. Uh, that they're not going to primarily base it on just the wide receiver and core. Sure. Obviously, you're going to use Jameer Gibbs as a as a wide receiver in the passing catching situations. You're going to use Sam Laporta, Brock Wright, and James Mitchell in passing situations. So, like, look, I think we're both on the same. Key. So, same key with uh, the wide receiver depth. I, if the wide receiver depth gets better, I feel better. But when we get into week eight, week nine, uh, obviously we're going to get JMO back up after the right at the Baltimore game. If they can, if they can stave off injuries, that could really be huge because getting JMO back, we're hoping we're hoping that he hits the ground running. But I believe that he's going to kind of take his time getting back because. You're not just going to hit the ground running unless you're you're, you're training, and, and we don't even know if he's going to be able to get treatment on his stuff until, I mean, Dan Campbell said no right up until I think it was this week. So that'll be interesting to find out. But um, and that's ter- and that's so the bullshit because they won't even allow them to get tra- treatment from the team's like doctors and facilities while they're out. That's total bullshit. I uh, they're a part of this team. They should be protected by the NFLPA, and they yeah. should have their benefits, and they should be able to be treated because, you know what, they're going to come back for this. And, dude, let's not forget, yes, they, they play a sport for a living, but they're humans and they're people. So, you know, if they have an opportunity to let a, prof- a, a trained and paid professional, and people can say, oh, well, it's just a hamstring or this and that. If you've ever pulled your hamstring or ever hurt your damn leg, dude, that shit hurts. Like, and if you're like, and if you have, if your team has access to a ton of doctors and a ton of money and a ton of resources, then you should be able to utilize them. I mean, that would be like saying that, you know, you go to work every day, but you can't like, you know, eat at the cafeteria or you can't use. Yeah, the it's just, it's, just the, it's just the rules that the NFL has. I mean, and it's, the, it's, I know that's what I'm saying. It's, it's the, the way it's the way, it's that, the way, it's it's the way it is. But I think that they I think that they should kind of amend the rules because this is something that you haven't really dealt with. I think they're putting themselves behind the, the line, but I think. This is how it's going to happen. It always happens with Detroit. Well, with Detroit. And, and, and other people can say, hey, he's got enough money. He can hire his own people. Yes. And yeah, I no, 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 no. You don't. You can't say that. People that say that are stupid because you're, you're getting treatment from the team because if he goes against the team rules or he goes against the team's wishes, medical wishes, like, like I remember when Jack Eichel went against the Buffalo Sabres medical team wishes. They wanted to trade his ass right then and there because he wasn't going with their line of thinking. Now you're obviously entitled to your second opinion, but if they just give him, you know, if they are allowed, they allow him to have, you know, the 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 they allow him to get treatment. I think that's that's something they have to do. Obviously, we've never experienced anything with this gambling situation. How prevalent it's going to be? I think there's going to be more suspensions down the line. But if it's an injury situation, like obviously they don't want guys coming back in the in the facility too early, so I, I get that point of view. But uh, along the line, there's there's going to have to be some rules amended uh, down the line. Now, um, 
Joseph Murdoch said, uh, he said, staying healthy in the sky is the limit. I agree with him. If they stay healthy, the sky is the limit. The issue is you don't really stay healthy throughout a whole entire NFL season. So that's number one. Now, um, obviously, we were talking about just we kind of got off track a little bit. But if there's one area of, of uh, this team that you believe that's going to put this team over top, what what is it? Yeah, I mean, if there, if I think that there's something that can really put us over the top, it's going to be good secondary play. So it's going to be good play from our corners um, because we haven't had good cornerback play since there was a man here that used to wear number 23 and Mr. Yeah. Slade Jr. Well, Jerry Jacobs uh, is wearing 23 now. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. So, like, in order for us to go over the top, we actually have to have some guys in our secondary that can actually guard somebody for longer than, like, one and a half seconds. So um, I think personally that's just a strong secondary play is going to be enough to really take this team over the top into the double-digit 10, 11, 12 wins territory. I agree, but I'm going to go in a different category. I'm going to go in a different uh, realm of the possibility. I think when you have Kirby Joseph and you have Chauncey Garner-Johnson, I think potentially what you're setting up is you're going to be a ball-hawking defense, and any balls that are thrown half-assed, Especially because let's be honest, you're gonna be playing Lamar Jackson, who he likes to throw those balls. You're gonna be throwing you're gonna be playing Derek Carr, uh Bryce Young, who is a rookie. There's a lot of quarterbacks on the on, on the schedule that you go, Am I do I really fear them? No. Like Geno Smith, these are your first, these are your first like four games that you're gonna play. Obviously, you pay, pay you play Patrick Mahomes. We all know that Patrick Mahomes is gonna is this this guy's a magician. He can do whatever the hell he wants. Uh, he could literally poop out the ball, and he's going to get it to a receiver. But after that, you got Geno Smith. You got uh, Desmond Ritter. You got uh, Jordan Love. You got Bryce Young. There's not a quarterback that you really fear, and I think though this defensive backfield, I think they're they're gonna fe- they're gonna sense fear from the quarterbacks because. They are guys that like to jump the routes. They are guys that if you make the wrong decision at the wrong time, they will make you pay. And I I like what this this defense is going to be because, you know, when Aaron Glenn started here, I think he wanted this kind of defense where they were allowed to attack, you know, be aggressive. He just didn't have the talent to be aggressive. So that's what I think that I like about this this uh, this this team, uh, especially this defense, the way that they 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 have uh, structured themselves. Now uh, we're gonna get there. You think it's more? So you think it's more uh, based on like how the safeties are gonna play, or, where, or is your angle like it, like our like our aggressiveness level is gonna be what's gonna be able to take us over the top? Well, I think like, because like confidence and aggressiveness. No, no, I think you. I think you hit it right with the second point. Okay, I think with the confidence of, like, okay, they're gonna have confidence that Cameron Sutton's gonna be good enough to cover his man, right? One of the things that happens when you're in you're in any sport okay when you are with you're playing with bad players right sometimes you compensate your game to help others right but when you know that the guy that's on your left like if you're a defenseman in hockey if you know the guy on the left is gonna is gonna is gonna uh is is, is not good you're gonna try to cover for his his ass but if you know if you're playing with i feel guy, like that was anzalone most of the year last year yeah but, but I, I feel like if you're playing with a guy who can help you you know you're not you're not saying okay i i don't know what you're doing, but I'm going to hope that you do the right thing with Emmanuel Mosley uh, potentially come back in week two, because he's going to have like, he's going to have 10 days off before then. Um, and, and with, with 
Chauncey Gardner Johnson, Kirby Joseph. You have four potential starting safeties in, in that safeties, okay? And then you have Jerry Jacobs in the cornerback slot. Like th- this is, there's so much potential that they could use these guys on the field for. So that's why I really don't worry about this uh, this defense with the way that they they're structured because, like I said last year, if if Kirby Joseph jumped the wrong route and Will Harris is getting burned by Stefan Diggs up the seam. Guess what? That's gonna go. That's gonna be seven the other way. So, yeah, man. No, I agree. I, I think it's gonna be like there's gonna be a lot that lies on the defense this year, and uh, mm-hmm. I think we're gonna see some stuff that we haven't aren't used to seeing, and that's um, you know aggressiveness, athleticism, uh, a lot of stunts, a lot of blitzes, a lot of creativity, and and we're gonna see if Aaron Glenn's for real. All right, so we're gonna get to our closing thoughts. Uh, Tyler, you get to your first closing thought, then I'll I'll go. Yeah, yeah. So, um, one thing I want to like kind of bring up, and this is kind of one of my closing thoughts that I want to bring up, is that look for growth in our coaching staff, and look for a lot, of, a little bit of a passing the torch this year. I want you guys to stop and realize this: this probably will be our last year having Ben Johnson. Um, he potentially. It depends on which openings open up. But he almost took, he was offered what from what I'm hearing he was offered two different head coaching spots or at least offered to be like in the final runnings the the finalists for uh, at least two different NFL teams and that was the Panthers and the Colts. Um, I think that you're gonna see a true system being put in place after uh, this being the third year. You're gonna see positions that are plug and play. You're gonna see things that work like a well-oiled machine. And you're going to see the passing of torch between certain uh, certain coaches and certain um, people in the organization. And you're going to be in a position where um, we can truly see how this can be sustainable long term. Um, and that is really, really important because, um, again, we don't want to fall apart when Ben Johnson leaves, which he inevitably, inevitably will because he is a good coach. You don't want to fall apart when, you know, if Aaron Glenn runs a really good defense and he gets a head coaching gig somewhere, we don't want our defense to start falling apart. You don't want these things to happen because these guys move on because that's part of the league is when you're a good team and when you're in a good position, you're going to send out people that like go to bigger and better things and they get promotions and they move on and they get better. But you want to be, you want to turn to the place that breeds that you want to be, you want to look up one day and be like, that guy was part of the Dan Campbell coaching tree. Um, So um, I'm just taking a little bit more of a kind of a sentimental route this time of, of really stopping and enjoying that because we're going to truly see within these next few years as we get to be a good team and if we can keep it sustaining um, that there are going to be a carousel of different positions and different coaching uh, members that will eventually um, have to be replaced. And you hope that there is enough system set in place that, you know, you can um, always keep the wheel turning like you want to continually have a good offensive line. We'll continually have a good running back room. We'll continually have good, uh, you know, good offensive play calling, whatever it may be. So um, just watch for those subtle things and watch how everybody works together and gel and who, um, you know, who they plug and play to keep the well-oiled machines going. And I think that um, being able to see that happen in live time and actually see us going from a bad team to a good team and like sustaining that is going to be really exciting for Lions fans. Cause this is not SOL, man. That's bullshit. Anybody that says that is not, truly feel the culture shift and truly feel the change. And I am so freaking excited, man. And I'm pumped up. And I think this is going to be a, a run. We're set up for a run as a Detroit fan, like a Detroit Lions fan, I should say. Yeah. That like we've never seen before because we were never prepared for it. Like we finally have the right people in place. And I'm just so freaking pumped, dude. 
Yeah, I think you I think you hit on something really good that I kind of want to hit on a little bit before I get into my closing thought. But you said something about, you know, you want to keep this sustainable. And I think that's what they're doing, because when you look at like when you look at the way that so when they fired Anthony Lynn, right? Oh, God. When they fired Anthony Lynn, Dan Campbell took over play calling. And if you look at the play calling right now, compared to when Dan Campbell took over, there's a little slight variation, but the reality of the situation is they like to hit, they like to pound the rock, they like to go off play action, they like to do they like to do that. Okay, I think that with, no matter if Ben Johnson leaves next year, which he probably will because he's a good he's a good good coach, I still feel like this is Dan Campbell's offense, and I feel like with him being with Sean Payton all those years in New Orleans, I feel like he's more suitable to find replacements and to keep, kind of have his own coaching style. You know what I'm saying? I feel like a lot of coaches when, especially like you look at some of these coaches, man, when they lose one of their coordinators, it's like, it's like, the, it's like the death stare. Like they're done. Like, you know, they have no shot. With Dan Campbell, I think that obviously Ben Johnson is going to be a guy that's going to help him out. Uh, you know, he's going to get a job eventually, but I think that this is still Dan Campbell's offense. And I look at you, I look at Aaron Glenn if they had to replace Aaron Glenn, I think that you have a, I think you have a future head coach right on your, your coaching staff with Calvin Shepard. And I really do think that because the way that he coached up those linebackers last year with Malcolm Rodriguez and Rod, you know, as he would call him Rodrigo, I think that was pretty, that was a pretty remarkable uh, coaching job by um, Calvin Shepard because it's very, very hard to get rookies prepared to play in the NFL in year one against the teams that you played coming out of the pike like you had you there was no Arizona Cardinals okay there was no um easy team that you came out with against the Philadelphia freaking Eagles man. you came you came out against Philadelphia <laughs> and you and you came out against Seattle and you came out against Minnesota New England like it's it's just not a good recipe for disaster and that's exactly what happened one and six to start but um going to my closing thought I'm 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 you know it's funny because we kind of had the similar closing thought, but uh, I think that us as Lions fans, I don't think we realize how uh, how well this this organization would kind of go into. Now, when we did this podcast last year, I think last year was we're on episode fifty eight, so we've only done fifty eight episodes. We're a relatively new Detroit Lions podcast, but last year when we did some of the episodes, like we were like. I could see next year being kind of like a turning the turning the corner type year. But like, if you look at the way that this team is set, set to, to go this year, um, I don't, I just, it's remarkable where they were last year at this time to this time this year and the talent that they've got, that that's gotten so much better. Like the, like last year when we came into week one against the Eagles, right? We weren't talking about a Chauncey Gardner Johnson. We weren't talking about a Kirby Joseph. We were talking about a rookie Aiden Hutchinson. We didn't know who James Houston was. We knew who he was a rookie that was on the practice squad, but we didn't know exactly who he was. There was no Charles Harris. There was no Romeo Aquara. Josh Pascal was on the pup list. Like you, you, you went into that year thinking, man, it's gonna be rough. But they turned the corner a little bit with the way that they, they, they fought. You know, they they started one and six. They ended eight and two. Now the talent is better on this team, and you go to Kansas City, and there's a definite shot that they can win that game. We'll talk about that more on next week's podcast. But if Chris Jones doesn't play for the Kansas City Chiefs, I think that they got all the they they got 
every right in the world to think that they're going to be uh, competing with Kansas City and potentially winning because the, I don't know if you know this, Tyler, but do you know who their starting defensive tackle is if Chris Jones don't play? Nick Williams, maybe? Ha! You know, that was a good guess. That was a good guess. Um, no, Danny Shelton. We all know who Danny Shelton is because he was one of uh, Patricia's – he was one of Patricia's first – signings for his defense you know the defense that absolutely blunt were horrible but i just remember that game against kansas city where it was at ford field and they returned a 99 yard touchdown um so i think we i think we're we need to get some payback there but uh well we're gonna have a lot of, of uh pre-game stuff next week i think we're gonna do the podcast tuesday maybe tuesday maybe yeah because cool. wednesday's uh kind of the day before the game maybe we might do wednesday just a little, you know, refresher, maybe Wednesday. But Thursday is the game, so we're we're not going to Sunday. We're not going to Sunday. We're going to Thursday. We are literally, like, let, we're a week away from this game now. So Yeah, man. No, it'll be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it, dude. I uh, I mean, we got everything coming back. I mean, next next week we got bold predictions. We got record predictions. We got score predictions. We've got stat predictions. Well, we already had our record predictions, man. I we mean, already- I, I'm telling. Yeah, I mean, as like as the weeks go on, you know, we uh, we've got you know we've got predictions about uh, stats and how the games are going to go and our uh, our bold predictions, man. Because hey, uh, you know, I think this year me and Joe kind of talked about we wanted to kind of do something where we kind of keep score between me, him, and Mayunk. And we uh we see who wins and maybe we'll uh I don't know we'll do a little something for it man and and whoever the winner is at the end of the year you know maybe they get get a little something, something sweet yeah yeah well it, it well maybe we'll have a guest picker too so um we'll see you guys on the next episode of the Detroit Lions News podcast this was an hour and a half podcast we let this one roll because this was the ultimate flying season preview we got through a lot including technical difficulties to start which kind of sucked. But we will see you in the next podcast. We'll be going live on Facebook and YouTube again because there's a lot of people that like that. Um, And if you're new to the podcast, we're on Spotify. We're on Apple. We're on Odyssey, which is the 97 one, the ticket uh, app, whatever. So you can go find us there. You can go find us on Amazon Podcasts or wherever the hell you get your podcasts. We're on like 80 different podcast websites. So we've done a pretty damn good job. And, um, Tyler, I'm looking forward to us hitting 100,000 downloads with 58 episodes. That's pretty incredible. Uh, we, go, will baby. See, we will see you guys in the next podcast as we talk about the Detroit Lions versus the Kansas City Chiefs week one in Arrowhead. There's nowhere else you would rather be, and we will see you guys next week.